And everybody said together, amen. amen. I am so glad that you're here. Are you glad that you're just in a place where we can just worship and focus on Jesus Christ? Amen. amen. Would you help me just um, thank our worship team? Mary filled in for our worship leader. Mark did a great job. <laughs> Woo! You know, the one thing about our worship team that I love is you don't really notice who they are because everything they do just reflects Jesus Christ. And we just want to lift him up. How many of you believe today that God can free you? Come on, I need you to believe with me. I need us to be, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and if you're here a guest with us or checking it out or maybe getting back to God or back to religion or whatever's on your mind, or maybe you're in the depths of some despair, I just believe that there's a God in heaven who is real today, who can heal you, free you, deliver you, do something in the supernatural in the heart right now. Do you believe that with me? Come on, let's pray. God in heaven, we believe that you are active. We believe that you are present. And God, we want your active presence here today. So Holy Spirit, we call upon you. We don't want just to have a religious service. We don't want to open a, 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 the Bible and just look at it as a history book. We believe, God, that you work yesterday, today, and forevermore, God. And we so desperately need you. God, we lift up this world that is in so, so much desperation, Lord, for something of substance, God. We lift up the situation in Ukraine and God don't even know really what to pray for other than safety and somehow wisdom, God. And we know the only answer to the ills of this world is the gospel, your gospel, your good news, God. And so we're just asking, and we know, God, you told us in your word, there will be wars and rumors of wars. So it doesn't take us by surprise. We know how the book ends and we know there's hope in you, God. So we just ask, God, your hand on this nation. We so desperately need a revival again, God, for people to come back to faith, back to you, Jesus, back to the Bible. And God, we pray that you bring compassion and love and your tenderness in this very moment, God. For anyone here that might be struggling or looking for some hope, we ask God all of this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. That song we sang, Lord, I need you. Man, I was just crying out, God, I need you every moment. I need you every day, God. I just think, you know, I, I want so much for God to move here in our midst. And those life interruptions that sometimes distract us or discourage us can be a life-changing moment. Do you agree? God can bring a life interruption that will absolutely be for the change, not only for eternity, but for here on earth. I want to introduce you to two guys in Luke chapter 5. I just want you to hold it there. We're making our way through the gospel of Luke. It's a great account of Jesus' life. Dr. Luke was precise in how he wrote. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, we have so much detail about the 33 years of Jesus' life. This I'm most excited about today because we're going to embark on two different guys who have an absolute life interruption and they would never be the same. And great crowds were hearing that God in heaven came down to earth in the form of a man named Jesus and was doing mighty things. So we're going to look at that. But before we do, I just want to introduce to you three guys here that are going to be here in second service. You first service folks, you're the more spiritual people. You're up early in the morning. You're up praying. You got your Bible. You're ready to go, right? But the second service, something is going to happen. I just want to let you know, and it relates to this whole idea 
idea that we're talking about in this series called Life Interruption. I got a phone call from one of our guys here at the church and said, hey, I've been working with some guys in recovery and we've been sharing about God with them and we don't certainly want to force anybody to do anything. We don't want to drive the gospel down anybody's throat, but certainly if somebody's interested, we're going to present the fact that God is alive. Amen? Amen? And so he says, hey, I got these guys we've been working with and they got questions and we've been walking through that, but I need just a little bit of help. I said, I am there. I don't care if it's midnight. I don't care if it's 2 a.m. We are there. Whenever somebody needs God, we are there. We want to be that kind of church. So we sat down around the table with these guys. And let me just say this, that there were life interruptions in every single one of their lives. And the five of us sat around because nobody's better than anybody else. Just because somebody's in recovery, I believe we are all addicted to something. We've been all addicted to some kind of sin, some kind of problem, some kind of help fix thing that makes us feel better. And all we did is we found Jesus because we were so lost and he healed our hearts. So all five of us were sitting around talking about there was a point in our life, every single one of us, where there was a life interruption. A life interruption can bring an opportunity that you will never ever be the same. So their names are Nash, Alex, and Matt. They're gonna be baptized right after second hour. We're having a special baptism today after second hour because we just believe that Acts 22, 16. And what are you waiting for, man? Get up, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on his name. Let's do it. Let's, oh, by the way, I need some help in preaching this morning. I had a rough night last night. The devil was just attacking. I didn't get much sleep. So I need your help. If there's something that you believe God is speaking to you, say amen. It's okay. You can stand up and clap. You can kneel down, praise God, whatever you want to do. These three guys gave their lives to Jesus Christ, and now they're going to be entering into this life of following Jesus. Let me just tell you, Nash, one of the guys, he said this, and he's from Kentucky. He said, Mike, man, I was so depressed. I, I, I had nothing. I remember being so absolutely so drunk, I couldn't get myself up off the pavement. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, man, everything changed. I have so much joy. I can actually look up. My life is pulling together and I know it's all from God. I listened to that and I'll tell you what, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is nothing like being around people who just found Jesus right? This is like going to Disneyland. We've been there a hundred times. Remember pass holders back in the day when there were $99 and there were no blackout dates? Now it's $5,000 to get into Disneyland. But anyway, we went into that place and just kind of, you know where everything is. You know where every bathroom is. You know where every ride is. You know how many people are going to be in that line for Space Mountain. But when you take somebody to Disneyland who's never been there before, you see it with whole new eyes. You get rejuvenated. You're so thankful, man. We live in the OC. We can go to Disneyland anytime we want. This is the most awesome place. I would say this, if we do not have an active faith that is pouring into somebody else's life, then we're just dead. We're just taking up space. And I don't want that for any of us. I don't want that for MVCC. And I certainly don't want that for the community of Mission Viejo and the surrounding areas. I just believe that God wants to bring an awakening and God always always uses his people. He's looking for one hungry heart that'll be willing to say, God, interrupt my life. Whatever you need to do, God, interrupt me so that I can be in the center of your will. Now, there are three things here that we're gonna look at in this fifth chapter, verses 12 through 26. Number one is this, change our condition. 
God can change our condition. Do you believe that? I have seen people in the hospital hooked up with tubes and monitors and everything else coming out of everywhere. And all of a sudden, a week later, they're up walking around. God can do the amazing. He can do the, he can change a situation, a condition. He may not always change the condition the way we want it, but God is capable and certainly can do anything. Second is this, God can cleanse all of our sin. All of it, man. There is nothing that's too far from God. That's why I'm so grateful for the gospel. I'm so grateful for Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God of salvation to everyone, everyone who believes. And number three is this. He calls us to service, man. He calls us to serve him. And what a joy it is to serve a God who gave us the greatest gift of all. I feel sorry for Christians around the world that I have to serve, I have to do this, I should do this, I have to go to church, I have to give my money, I have to pray, I have to do, you don't have to do anything. You get to do these things because you've been such the recipient of God's kindness and tenderness and his love. Now, I want you to go with me before we read this text into the the Sea of Galilee. We are crossing over from the southwestern shore over to the northeastern side in a little town called Capernaum. Capernaum was a small outskirt town, and there were these little kind of villages and towns all around the Sea of Galilee. It was a fishing business. It was a fishing town. That's how people made their money there. So you can see with me the docks. You can see the fishing boats. You, You can hear the rustle of the crowd as there are things going on on the outskirts in this little town of Capernaum. Probably about two to 300 people lived in these little villages. Not a whole lot. The homes were very small. Uh, in fact, there were only maybe 400 square feet of, of living space. And there's a man with an issue. He has a serious issue. Let's read verse 12, Luke chapter five. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case. I want you to see that advanced case of leprosy. And when the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. This man has an issue. He has a condition. Unfortunately, he has been defined by his issue. Have you ever done something that, in your, you, that you're the only one that knows what you did wrong? You, you, you went down the wrong path. You made a wrong decision. You did something. You were completely blindsided and got caught up in something. And nobody else knows, but you know. And it's like this dark shadow that clouds over you. And then somebody finds out about it. And now you're defined by it. Anyone ever experienced that? This man was defined by leprosy, unfortunately. Leprosy was a hideous disease. You would lose feeling. The thing that's interesting about this when we read that first verse is that we don't know this man's name. All we know is his issue. In Leviticus 13, it was very, very strict in the Old Testament. The rules that lepers had to follow. It wasn't because God was punishing them. It wasn't because God was restricting them. It wasn't because God was looking to discipline anybody. He just wanted, we have to remember the context of the entire Bible is that God protected the nation of Israel. He protected the people of God because he had a plan. Jesus had to be born into this world so you and I could be saved. That's why we, we, we have to be careful when we read the Bible to read in context and understand that God is a loving, compassionate, gracious, patient God. 
And sometimes some of those wars and battles that took place, God said to a nation, don't come against Israel. Don't come against my people. I'm warning you, don't do it. And God would relent and he would wait as long as possible. But they didn't listen to God. There's consequences, just like us. When we do wrong, sometimes there's consequences. God isn't looking to punish anyone. It's just that we have to unfortunately live out the consequences that oftentimes we get ourselves into. And unfortunately, the lepers could not be in the camp of God's people. Even in the Old Testament, there are very strict rules, as I mentioned in Leviticus chapter 13. If you want to look that up, it's 45 through 46 verses. Basically, it was a dermatology manual. God protect this camp. And so therefore, if a leper got within 50 paces of anyone, they would literally have to cry out, unclean, I, I'm unclean. If the wind was blowing to the east or to the west, they would have to be 150 paces out. I, I just want you to capture here with me. I want us to climb into the text. We don't want to read something to the text and make it apply to our life. We want to dive into the text and say, God, what do you have for me? I was just like this leper. In fact, the Old Testament reminds us through the New Testament that this leprosy, unfortunate disease, is a type of sin, meaning it's a parallel, it's an analogy with us that we all have the sin of leprosy on the inside. And that leper had absolutely no hope and there was no cure. There was nothing that any medical professional could do at that time. I think the greatest pain of the leper is isolation. I mean, I can't imagine the disfigurement and the pain because they cannot feel the extremities. They cannot feel with the nerves that are there in their hands and feet. And, and, and literally they become disfigured. But I think the worst thing of all is the isolation from people. Not being able to touch, not being able to have community, not being able to interact with family. They were isolated from outside the city walls of Jerusalem. I think the danger of isolation is much greater than the risk of intimacy. I really believe that. His identity was absolutely, unfortunately, consumed by his issues. I just wonder if there's any of us here today that can identify with what this man was dealing with. Here's a question I have. What do you need from God right now? What do you need from God? Because this man obviously had a need, he had an issue, and nothing, the thing I love about this man, is nothing what is going to stop him from getting to Jesus. He says, I am the great I am. Whatever you need from God, he can supply that need. He is the great I am. He's not the great I did. He's not the great I was. He is the great I am. The man who had no name comes to the one who is the name above every name. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that great the way the scripture weaves this together? Whatever your issue is today, whatever depression, whatever discouragement, whatever despair, whatever physical healing or anything that you need from God, there is a name that is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Devil, you need to hear this scripture. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I know what you're going through is difficult. I know what you're going through right now. You don't understand, but I need you to trust me that Jesus is still Lord. And I got to tell you, I'm walking through this right now. We're dealing with something in our life right now that I've been asking God, why, what, God, why don't you solve this problem now? 50 paces of distance. And can I just say, we all have secret spots, man, don't we? We all have something secret. 
that if truth be told, man, if we put everything up on the screen, some of those secrets, woo, we'd be out of here, right? There's no way I'm going to a place like this. The problem of hiding, I don't think this man, I think this man perhaps was in hiding, but all of a sudden something struck him. He heard about the name of Jesus and he heard that Jesus could heal. The problem with hiding is it keeps others from seeing us for who we really are. And the bigger problem about hiding is it keeps us from knowing who God really is. Intimacy requires close proximity. I know we don't like that. I know that some of us, we really struggle with being intimate and open and vulnerable. Guys, I just want to say, your wife, if you are married, if you're here and someday want to be married, and, and, and that is an aspiration and a desire of your heart, the greatest thing I believe a woman wants is for her husband to lead her. And that doesn't mean, do what I tell you. This is my castle. Everybody do what I say. I think leading by example and being vulnerable and open. I don't think there's anything wrong with telling your spouse. These are the things that I'm afraid of. These are the things that sometimes I worry about. Let's get together and let's pray and let's ask God to heal this situation. That's leadership. Leadership is vulnerable and open and there is strength in that. I heard T.D. Jakeson one time, you have to be, he said this, I'll never forget it. You have to be strong to be humble because it requires us to trust in a God who's gonna take care of everything and laying ourselves out on a surgical table, that's not a fun thing to do. But I do know this, when we're willing to do that, God can come to our rescue. He can come and fix a situation that nobody could ever fix. And this leper certainly had a situation. See, he heard of a man. He heard of a man that was in the synagogue. Remember we looked at chapter four? The man that was in the synagogue who was racked with a demon and Jesus says, stop, quiet. Remember the Greek rendering there is shut up, right? And the word got out. And it says in that next verse in chapter 14 that we read, people were coming by the thousands, I believe, to bring all who were sick. And it said, everyone was healed. And what the enemy wants us to believe is your issue's too big. There's something that you did that was too bad. It went down the wrong path. And, and God, it's just too big for God. You're gonna have to figure this out on your own. You're gonna have to solve this by yourself. Not true. The best candidate for someone to receive what they need from God is the person who's the most needy. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. That's why I love this man's posture. He's so urgent. He's so desperate. His countenance, his physical posture is that he bows down. If you are willing, you can make me clean. You can fix this, Jesus. He was undignified. You're not supposed to do that. I don't read in the text that he kept the 50 paces between he and Jesus, do we? He just runs up to Jesus. I don't know if he touched him. Jesus definitely touched the man. Let's continue on in 13 to 14. Jesus reached out, watched, I love this, touched him. I am willing, he said, and be healed. Exclamation point. And instantly, instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. And he said, go now, I want you to go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. 
Can I just stop here for a second? There's a couple of noteworthy things. Those of you that love to study the Bible and get into the text and really know what's the context of this, I want to share something with you that was profoundly eye-opening for me. But before I do that, I don't want to pass over too quickly that Jesus touched him. No one, no one would touch a leper. My wife and I lived in Hawaii. They have a leper colony on Molokai, one of the islands. And the existence for them, again, is isolation. Nobody would touch them because it's contagious. Jesus did. Jesus risked an intimate moment with this man. Why did he tell him? Do you think it was, it was odd to me when I read this? Now, I don't want you to go and tell anybody about this. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I thought we were supposed to go and tell everybody the good news. But we think about this in the context. The crowds of people, we've been reading this in chapter 3, 4, and now 5. Crowds are pressing in on Jesus from everywhere. All the towns have heard around the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum was Jesus' headquarter for ministry. And now people are coming, I believe, by the thousands constantly, day in and day out. If Jesus had the harvest crusade at that time, he never would have been able to spend time with his disciples intimately to train them and prepare them for the three years he had to save the world. So so we have to remember, it seems a little odd. Don't go tell anybody. What I love about this man is he completely disobeys Jesus, right? Because I find myself in that same category. Now, why does he have to go to the priest? Why did Jesus order him to do that? Remember that when Jesus walked the earth, We live in Old Testament still, period. We're not in the New Testament yet till Jesus dies. The veil is torn in two in the temple. Jesus dies for the sins of the world and he cries out, it is finished, meaning our salvation has already been paid for. Isn't that great? But we were living, unfortunately, the people in this day that we are reading, they didn't have that benefit. Jesus hadn't died yet, so they fully didn't know the gospel. That's why he says, look, we're still under old law. And the old law says, number one is this, you have to go to a priest If you have so-called been healed, you have to go to the priest for verification. Secondly, you would have to take the sacrifice that would be given to the priest. Third is there would be water that would be used to purify that person. There was one week of celebration. And then number five is there were three lambs that had to be offered in response to this great miracle that God did. God wanted him to follow the protocol so that there could be verification and validity. This guy's healed. It was not some myth. It was not some magic. It was not some so-called story. It really happened. I remember reading a book by Billy Graham one time, and he says, if you think you've been healed of God, go get the doctor's report and verify it. Because people want to know, is this really real? So I want to say again, if you're taking some notes on your card there in the seat back in front of you, changed his condition. Amen? Cleansed his sin. Yes? And called him now to serve. Go to the temple. Let's pick it up in verse 15 and 16. But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster. And vast crowds came to him and preached and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. I just love that Dr. Luke, as he writes this account of Jesus' life, he records the humanity of Jesus. Jesus needed time to rest. Jesus needed, in a sense, vacation. He needed to recharge the batteries And Jesus didn't go, you know, just lay by some poolside. He met with the Father. He met with the Father in prayer and was rejuvenated in in, in his humanity. Total healing, total restoration, and total deliverance. Let's move on to the second 
now account that we have in Luke 5, 17 to 26. I love this one as equally as I love the first one. There are four men who are truly a friend to the one who is literally flat on his back. I need you to see the scene with me before we read the text. I just want you to hold your Bible there, 17 to 26. I want you to see a crowd of people that are pressed into a home. There are people in the front. They are in the back. They are on the sides. They are looking through the slats where so-called windows, not like we know, but there were openings. They are peering in. People are hanging on every word that Jesus is speaking. The word is out that Jesus not only can heal, but he can teach. In fact, we looked at last week, he is one who taught with one who has authority. So when Jesus spoke, man, Jesus, people wanted to be around him. They would do anything they could to be in this moment with Jesus, and they were. And there are four friends, because the word is out, that Jesus can heal. He can fix things. He can change a circumstance. So I love the boldness of these guys Because they didn't say, well, maybe it's not our day for our friend to be healed. They had a friend who was paralyzed. We don't know how long. We do believe because he was on a stretcher, probably paraplegic. He was flat on his back. And they decide we've got to get our friend to Jesus. If we can get him to Jesus, then we believe God can perform a miracle. We miss hanging with our friend. We miss the things that we used to do. Going down to the docks, going fishing, hanging out, doing walks through the village. We miss being our friend in wholeness and healthy living. And so the only way to fix this problem is Jesus. I I, I want you to see this scene with me as they approach carrying this guy, their friend, on a stretcher, and they approach the home, and there is a sea of people everywhere. Do you see it? People murmuring, people clam, people talking, people trying to figure out how to get in. People, some people are excited. Some people are in opposition. They want to catch Jesus doing something wrong. Do you see the scene with me? Now let's go to verse 17. One day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. And some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat, and they tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof, took off some tiles, then they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd, right in front of of Jesus. Seeing their faith, their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law said to themselves, Hey, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. You see this this dialogue with me with these four guys carrying their friend? It's completely covered. If they would have followed the way of the world, they would have just turned back. Well, I guess it's not our day to be healed. I guess it's just not our time. But they didn't. I love these guys because they pressed in. They looked for another door. Can I just stop here a second? And I think often... We say we believe in Jesus. We believe the miracles. We believe the Bible. 
But do we really believe that God can open up a door right now in my life? I want to give you four doors here. I just, just, just want this picture to be painted out of the text that these guys were looking at door number one and door number one was disappointment. I'm sure they were disappointed. You know, I think sometimes we feel guilty because we feel disappointed with what God is doing or not doing or missed opportunities. Are you with me? I've experienced a lot of disappointment as a believer. In fact, before I was a Christian, before I gave my life to Jesus, I just kind of did whatever I wanted to do. Now, I don't have that luxury. I mean, it's all under freedom and joy, but I don't have that freedom to just, hey, I'm just going to go do whatever I want. So sometimes there's disappointment. You're asking, you're pleading, God, can you do this? God, we've been waiting for this. God, we are believing that you have, you, you, you have sent your son and we believe, God, he's here. And so we're asking you to do this for us. Change our circumstance. Change my kid. Change my living situation. God, change my relationships. Fix this problem. Heal this person. Do something, God. And we are disappointed because it seems like the door is shut. Are, are you with me? Amen. Again, if these boys were... Su- subscribed by the worldliness, they would have just walked away. But this, their response is to what cannot be seen, but believe it to be true. I'm I'm telling you as a Christ follower, as a brother in Christ, I'm trying to get better at this thing. But sometimes I'll be honest, I look at situations the way people look at situations. I look at situations sometimes with my own own eyes and I miss that there's another door. I'm not seeing what's up on the roof, which these guys were able to do that. I just have a picture of here what it might have looked like, something like this. Jesus is in his most intense moment of teaching, and all of a sudden the tiles, remember we read the text, the tiles start spilling through, the straw comes down, the mud and thatch all of a sudden start crumbling right on Jesus' head. And as the man is being lowered down, Jesus does not say, what are you doing? You're interrupting this most incredible moment of teaching. I like your style, boys. I like your carpentry work. Jesus was a carpenter. I like what you're doing. How do we know that? Because it says the very first thing, as you see the man being lowered down now, Jesus is there, it's packed in that place, people listening, people peering through the windows. When he saw their faith, Everybody needs a friend. This guy was fortunate enough to have four. I read in a relationship book one time years ago when I lived in Hawaii, if you have two or three what we call, I call them garden friends, that'll be in the garden with you, the garden of Gethsemane moments of life, when you have no place to turn and you just need someone to come and sit and just be with you. If you have two or three in life, you're doing really well. This guy had four. I want you to notice something with me. The most important thing to God is your soul, which cannot be seen. The most important thing to God is that you spend eternity with God in heaven. That is the most important thing. Acts 10.43 says he, meaning Jesus, is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone, watch this, everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Remember we talked at the opening? The one who had no name now is going to the one who is the name above every name, right? Ephesians 4.32, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Meaning past tense, if he forgave me, what stops me from forgiving somebody else? 
Colossians 1.14, he purchased our freedom, and I love this. He forgave our sins. Forgave. It's done. See, religion says do. Jesus, through relationship, says already done. I feel sorry for people who are stuck in religion, who are doing, 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 hoping to, to, to ascribe to some level of, of heaven or some pinnacle of, of religious faith. When Jesus says, I already did it for you, you just come and experience the joy that I've put in your heart. These four guys are looking, and as Jesus said those words, son, your sins are forgiven, I can imagine something like this. Excuse me? What did he say? Sounded something like, and they're having this little committee meeting, which by the way, at Missionville Christian Church, we don't use the word committee. Oh, that was just for free. We use the word team. Committee says we don't get anything done. Team says let's get it done. Right, Scott? <laughs> Jesus, we love the fact that you, 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 you said his sins are forgiven, but we really came because he needs to be healed. Right? Can you see this discussion maybe happening? I, I'm glad you're forgiven, but can you fix it? What do you do when God bypasses what you want to give you what you need? Oh, that's a hard one. That's a tough one to swallow. Because there's some things I really want from God. There's things that I want him to do. But it might be not be what I need so that I can be more like him. See, I just think Jesus is saying something to this. Before I do something for you, I want to do something in you. We, we, we should chat that right now. If you're online, that's a... That's, that's one we ought to chat and spread that all. That's a post that'll, that'll post on Instagram, right? There are two types of people in the house, seekers and haters, which leads us to the second door of opposition, the opposition. Four main groups, Sadducees, Zealots, Essenes, and Pharisees. They are the ones that, hated Jesus. So much so. Do you remember when we read in chapter three, they tried to push him off a cliff. Opposition can often bring opportunity, can it? So Jesus in verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and he asked them, why do you question this in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up. Pick up your mat and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Everyone, watch this, everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe. And they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. There will be opposition the moment you get up and do something that Jesus told you to do, right? Not everyone's going to go, hey, it's great. So glad you're reading your Bible. So I'm glad you're going to that MVCC place or Saddleback Church or Covenant Church or wherever church. I'm so glad your family's going to church now. Most people don't say that. Man, I'm so glad you're fasting and praying. We really, you know, we're, we're glad that you're doing these things. Glad you're going to another prayer meeting at Mission Valley Christian Church on Tuesday night, which by the way is Tuesday, this Tuesday, seven o'clock prayer meeting. We all got to be there. Everyone's not going to stand up and say, hey, great. There are people that will oppose you. There will, people that pe- there will be people hating you. There will be people that will try and trip you up and catch you in something. That's what these haters were trying to do around Jesus. They were simply trying to catch him, although they never could because Jesus never sinned. They were trying to catch him, and they will do the same to you. What's the remedy for that? Just do what Jesus told me to do. He told me to get up, take my mat, and walk out in full view of them all. Whatever God says, I'm all in, which leads to door number three, obedience. 
Obedience. Can you imagine with me as a church family, we are all in unity, not on every little thing because it's impossible, but we are in unity on the main things that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's changed our life and he told us to go and share the good news with people and disciple them and help them to have a relationship with God and pull them into a safe place called the church. What was holiness, now you hold it when you get saved, right? That's what this man, this, this imagery that I see is, that mat had a hold of him, but when he was walking out, he had a hold of it because Jesus frees us. He delivers us. I will never forget when I was at a youth camp, when I was a youth pastor, and there was a sea of about 400 high school students in this auditorium. We took them to a week long of camp, which by the way, if you have a student, a young person or a grandchild, you got to make sure that they're in our youth program and children's ministry because they get in the flow of community of what God is shaping them to be in God. Don't worry so much about the sports and education. That'll take care of itself. Not to say that that is important, but Jesus Christ is the most important. You'll get the most out of your child's education and sports if you put the kingdom of God first. I'm just, I don't know how else to say it. So we were at this youth camp making sure that every opportunity was there for every kid to give his life to Jesus Christ. And I remember the speaker got up He gave the simple gospel, the good news. And he said at the end of his message, if there's anybody here today that wants Jesus Christ in their life, I want you to stand up right where you are. And I was expecting, you know, I was sitting in the back because I wanted to watch our kids. I was expecting maybe 100, 150 kids to stand up. Nobody stood up. I was amazed. One kid from our group stood up all by himself. It was like that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? They would not bow down to the false idol. Here's one solitary person who said, I believe in you, Jesus. I will surrender my life. That was this man. I need you to walk out. Now think about this. In full view of everyone who hates him and he responds to what Jesus asked him to do. The only thing I want to say on this before we wrap this up is this. If Jesus is telling you to do it, do it. Make sure it's in the word. Make sure that you have Christian counsel. If you're hearing something from God, you want to make sure that you're doing what Jesus told you to do. Even if it sounds or looks absolutely ridiculous, do it. Which leads us to the fourth door, which they found when they went down where nobody else would even think. They went down through the roof and they caught Jesus in revelation. Revelation. He is the son of God. Exodus 3.13, God said to Moses, I am who I am. So don't tell me you can't. I am the God that's in you. There is no limit to me. I know that you stutter. I know that you don't have confidence. I know you got to go back to the Pharaoh. I know the task seems so great, but I am the God that I say I am. And he said, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. I am the true vine. I am from above. I am not of this world. I am the son of God. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. I am who I am. And you will see, he said to Caiaphas, Jesus said moments before he was crucified, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the father and coming down on the clouds of heaven. That's why I want you so much to come to Tuesday night prayer night because I believe when we knock, God answers. He may not answer when we want him to, but he always answers. 
We've got, to be, we've got to be praying. It is vital that the church of Jesus Christ return to prayer. And at seven o'clock, we, we, we get right to business. We worship and then we pray because we believe so strongly in what Jesus said. My house shall be a house of prayer for all nations. If you need anything from God, there's no better place than to be in a place where everybody's in agreement for prayer. And I've seen God do amazing things. He can change our condition. He can cleanse our sin and he can call us to serve. Action, really quick. What do we do? Don't give up too quickly. You may be looking at the house and seeing the door is shut. And God says, there's another door, man. I need you to come down through the roof. And I like your style. I like that you have faith. I like that you tried something different. I like that you thought through something and did something creative that I was leading you to do. Number two, and the last one is this. Be willing to do whatever Jesus is commanding you to do. Just be willing to do it. And watch what God can do. God, I thank you so much that your word, sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we have heard your voice. Help us, God, not just to listen, not just to hear, but to do. Anybody that's facing anything in this room, God, right now, thank you for the reminder that you are the good news. And God, any Christian now that's facing anything, any fellow believer, I know, I cer- you know, God, I certainly am. And I ask Jesus that what seems impossible, God, I know that you can break through. And I pray, Jesus, my prayer is that we be able to do what is unseen, trusting you, God. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, this is just a quiet moment for just a couple of minutes here that we always offer at the end of message because we want so much for you to process through what God has spoken. Maybe he spoke through the worship, maybe the reading of Luke chapter five and you think, God, this is for me. I want you to have a moment to meditate on this. And here's what communion represents. Why do we do this? Is it just a religious act? Do we just do it because Jesus told us? Do this in remembrance of me. I have a, just a picture up here of some, some of the guys who are gonna be baptized. If we could just put that up there. Communion not only represents Jesus, but people. People who need the cross. People who need God's love. And whatever God's put on your heart, I just we wanna give you some time to just process through that. Let your heart break. Let the tenderness of Jesus just touch So God, we thank you for the cross. Without the cross, we'd be lost. We come humbly, God, before you, just like this man, bowing down. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here, and we'll see you next time.